Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. What I would imagine you're talking about is extra layers of overlapping management. And as far as bureaucracy, you've got these layers and layers. You got too many officers and very few actually uh, soldiers. And uh, like in peacetime, now they said like there was somebody who was explaining like the problem with the military and the decision they made about Afghanistan. They said, well, you got all of these Said in World War II, at the end, there was four four-star generals. Yeah. Four. Four. Now there's 400. In peacetime, wow. what happens is everybody keeps getting promoted up, and they've got 400 four-star generals, and they all are experts, you know, and they probably are, but you got 400 different expert opinions. So as a result, no wonder everybody's confused about what you should do, you know? Well, I teach at leading business school. Let me say, Larry, in business today, we have way too many managers and not nearly enough leaders. And I'd like to eliminate a lot of those middle managers. Business schools teach the things they're teaching were effective in the 90s, but that's not what the role is today. We need leaders, okay? Leaders yeah. step up when there's a crisis. Managers kind of do the same thing they've been doing and they maintain everything the way it was and they slow things down. So why is it all these tech companies are starring? Why is it? I visited NVIDIA a number of years ago, a tech company. Why are they doing so? Because a small company that maintains that small company feeling, you know? And I think we just, it's not working with these big lumbering companies that can't innovate. I mean, you know, in the last 20 years or 15 years, GE lost its ability to innovate. It used to be a great innovator, lost all that. And you see it. I mentioned Boeing. You mentioned a number of companies Sadly, they got so bureaucratic that they really didn't do anything, any breakthrough. But they also weren't training leaders or training managers. And unfortunately, our business schools turned out in the last two decades since I started teaching a million managers. But they're actually not really oriented toward taking risks. You know, they want to get real rewarded for kind of doing what they're doing. To me, that's not the way you do it. That's why the entrepreneurs have done so well. Yeah. And that's the whole idea. Manager, as you're maintaining, you're not growing. And uh, would you agree that the difference between a leader and a manager, which is what you're pointing out, the result, I mean, the difference has to show up primarily in results, don't you think? Because a leader is going to get results. Yeah. Here's the problem is we give people short-term incentive and they'll make the numbers I had this problem at Honeywell. The first thing they would do, Larry, is they started missing the revenue numbers, and so they would cut the R&D, okay, because it wasn't going to affect them this year. And then they'd do it next year and next year. And the, by the way, there's no R&D left. That's the Boeing story. It put a fine point. And this goes back about three or four CEOs, not Dave Calhoun. It's a guy named Harry Stonecipher that said, you know, we're this is no we that Boeing had been the world's leading aviation company for like 100 years. And the new CEO comes in from McDonnell Douglas, and he says, you know, we're just an engineering lab. We got to run this like a business. Well, that to him meant giving more money back to the shareholders in cash and cutting R&D. So a very prominent person I know well went into him and said, we need to design a new aircraft, what's called a single aisle aircraft, to replace our 727, 737, 757. 
And they said, no, no, that'll cost $3 billion. We're going to put that money in buying back stock. Well, that made the shareholders happy for about a quarter, about three months. And then the next <laughs> thing you know, you lose out to Airbus, who's been investing in nuclear, and you say, oh, we're behind, so we make a quick fix. You can't quick fix in engineering terms. It'd be like you want to be an architect, and you're going to take some lumbering old house that's got very bad foundations, and uh, you try to make it nice. No, you're better off knocking it down and start with a new design. But I think that's what's happened in business. We've gotten so bureaucratic and so focused on short-term results. And uh, look, if you got excess cash, give it back to shareholders, but never cut R&D. You never cut R&D. To me, you never cut the dividend, you never cut R&D. And that's, I had a policy of Medtronic, no matter how bad things were, two things we're never going to cut. One was R&D and the other was the sales force. Look, I could cut out this, the layers in the sales organization, the middle right. man you're talking about. Right. Yeah, we had way too many of those. And you had to keep going because the bureaucrats want to add more. And I had to go act. And then I had a guy who was a vice chairman to go around with a meat axe and take out some of those bureaucracy. <laughs> but it just kind of grows on you. And you got to go back. and But you got to reward your leadership. You mentioned the frontline people. Get to the Who are the people, the salespeople that are making the difference of those top customers? Yeah. Who are the engineers? Like, they're like serial innovators. And these people, they have labs at home. They got all kinds of innovation. But if you make them vice president of engineering, they're going to fail. Yeah. Because that's not what they'll love to do. They want to go invent. So, but you got to reward those people. You know, you can't treat them like, oh, well, you're kind of low on the totem pole. And this person who's got title director or vice president. We always found coming up, we always found that so many of the big companies eventually became run by accountants or attorneys or something who had no idea of the importance, had never made a sale, never been around the sales force, and they just looked at the sales force as someplace to cut costs. No, you're right. And they cut territories and cut commissions, and then they cut their own throat in the process. Well, Larry, watch who they cut. They don't cut the managers. They cut the first-line people. Right. They cut back on the compensation of the people. You know, to me, quality is not come doesn't come from the quality department. Quality comes from the people who design the product and who produce it. They're the ones that do it. And, you know, then we cut back on their resources and cut back on what we pay them. And we leave them high and dry. So we and in those cutbacks and we have fewer workers, just like you're talking about the generals. We have all officers and no no troops. Yeah. I wanted to promote the troops, you know, the people doing the work. The people are in the the doctor's office every day. Yeah. Say, doctor, we can help you. Let me help you. Here we got a solution for your patient. The word authentic leadership, what does that mean to you? Being genuine, being yourself, being who you are. And it's interesting, when I came out with my book 20 years ago, Authentic Leadership, which became a modest bestseller, everyone asked me, what's it mean to be authentic? And I just said what I said to you. It means genuine, being real. But it was interesting. They wanted to make it more complicated. You know what I decided it was? People felt like they had to wear a mask when they wanted to work. If you knew who I was, Bill, I would never make it. If I could, no, you got to be real. Oscar Wilde once said, just be yourself, Larry. Everyone else is taken. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't be Jack Welch, you know, and all those people that keep trying to be. You got to be who you are. You know, you got to use the gifts you've been given and build your gifts not trying to be like someone else. Hey, I'd like to be a great athlete. I would want, love to win the National Football Championship. I played tennis and cut. I'd love to win the Olympics. I'm not a great athlete. You know, I'm a good athlete, but I'm not great. So I got to do what I'm great at. Or not great, but what I can do, I'm really good at. Use all my skills. Well, the way I've tried to explain that to people, Bill, is 
over the years is like, if you're trying to be like someone else, you're trying to copy or whatever, you know, like, am I doing it right? So you're going to be cautious. You're going to be tentative. And the only way you can be great is to be yourself because then you're not worried about am I doing it right? No, this is how I got it. But see, a lot of people go into big companies and it's all for show, how they dress, how they present PowerPoints, how they look. You know, yeah. and right. I said up to the bosses at Medtronic, I made a couple of mistakes in promotion. We had a policy. I would never promote anyone unless I had data on 360 from the frontline people, the people who work for them. Hey, what's it like working for Larry? And I learned a lot from that because there are people that's a little crude, but the cliche is kiss up and kick down. They look great to the bosses and they can fool you. Yeah. But they kick their people out. They go back and they play, take credit for other people's work. They have toxic leaders. Frankly, if I could get rid of all the toxic managers, I would do so because business would be a lot better off if we just clean out all the toxic managers. Well, I think, you know, it's amazing how widespread the toxicity is. Isn't it? And how ingrained in how many places, you know, you go, it's almost like you could turn around every company by getting rid of the uh, the toxic people, creating the toxic environments and just let people flourish take the lid off, basically. So Larry, let me ask you this. Why do we tolerate that? And I ask CEOs this. Why are you tolerating? Well, these people are producing results. I said, are they really? Take them out. You'll find out they're people producing results. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like that kid at Michigan, he knew that, hey, he couldn't throw a decent pass if he didn't have those big linemen blocking for him. If somebody was going to sack like they did the Washington he didn't have people opening up holes or running back. What good is a run? You know, it's true. But that same analogy applies to business. You know, you can't do it without the people on the front lines really caring about quality. You know, they're the ones that build it in. Now, people that have uh, that are listening to this and maybe in their organization. They probably aren't going to hate yeah. me for saying this. <laughs> well, you know, what I would point out is if their growth is started to get, you know, become sluggish and they just know the company can do more. A couple of things we've just been hitting on is you might look at those layers of management and see if you've started to get, you've allowed yourself to get overstuffed with the management layer. And you might ask yourself if you're given enough respect and uh, not just income, but, you know, respect basically and appreciation for the frontline people. And the other thing is, Look for toxicity and get rid of it. I agree. And I first thing I did a Medtronic, we had too many layers in our safety. I took out three layers. Things got a lot better. We all got a lot closer to the action. And I also said to all those lawyers and accountants and everyone else, you got to go out and see procedures. You need to ground, gown up, go in and see what a doctor is actually doing, see what we're doing. So get out of this staff role. Because I think the problem at big corporations is the staff start thinking their job is to control the people doing the work. And I keep saying, no, it's just the exact opposite. Your job is not to control the people doing the work. It's to enable them. Take the barriers out of the way. You're creating barriers. Take the barriers out of the way for the people doing the work. Free your salespeople. Free your engineers. Free your production people to do their job. They're dedicated. They want to do that. You ever meet a salesperson who doesn't care about making the sales and you get rid of them? But, you know, they want to do the right thing by their customers. And so that's key. Bill, I wonder how much you talk about you know saying things and people don't receive it. They ought to pay attention to you. In 2014, you won the Franklin Institute Award for the Bauer Award for Business Leadership. 
You were elected to the National Academy of Engineering in 212. You're named one of the top 25 business leaders of the past 25 years by PBS, Executive of the Year 2001 by the Academy of Management, Director of the Year 2001-2002 by the National Association of Corporate Directors. It seemed like with these kind of credentials and endorsements that people would want to hear. <laughs> but I guess there, there's still some closed minds out there, I guess. Well... Fortunately, I think there are a lot of people that really want to do a good job. I really do. Yeah. I don't want to put them down. And I think we just need to help them because a lot of the things they've been taught are contrary to that. They're taught to just maintain a strategic plan. Larry, we're living in an era of multiple intersecting crises. Who predicted that Hamas was going to attack Israel? Who predicted that Russia was going to attack Ukraine? Who knew 9-11 was coming? Who knew that, that, that I sat on the front line of Goldman Sachs and the board, and we had 16 board meetings that fall of 2008 when the whole market collapsed, the whole world. So the issue is, you know, I think we just need to encourage those people to lead in today's environment. It's a rough world out there. It's much tougher than when I was CEO, but we need to help people do that. But, you, you know, the people who are, I wrote a book called Seven Lessons for Leading in Crisis. I didn't say for managing in crisis, I said for leading in crisis. So a person can manage through very difficult, lead through very difficult times is much more important than somebody who can manage in stable times Yeah, and get all these awards because it's not a stable time. I mean, you can't tell me what's going to happen in 2024 because no one knows, you know? And so we just have to lead in the best way we can and deal with the resources we have and make things happen and go address problems and go solve them. And don't let anyone get in your way. The problem is there are a lot of people get in the way. Talk about how the, uh, you know, when we write books, one of the big thing ordeals you go through is, what am I going <laughs> to title it? And, uh, you know, you came up with the concept, uh, basically a concept, True North. Right. And emerging leaders are the whole thing. So, Unfortunately, that's this book, which I'm very, my best book, I'm very proud yeah. of. So. And so talk about, and then that's expanded into workshops and the uh, other books and everything that caught on. Talk about how that's caught on and what feedback you've got from people that have gone through the book and the courses and those things. Well, I think in the idea of true north is basically who you are. It's your, the moral compass that guides your life. It's your beliefs, your values, your principles you lead by. That's unique to you. And yeah. where do you find satisfaction and joy in your life? And I think a lot of people were trying to get the adulation of the outside world, trying to impress everyone else by being something they weren't. And my work has always been just be who you are, and that's pretty good. And then you can focus on then making a difference from where you are, from the gifts you have. And that's all my books are really built around that essential theme, the idea of true north. If you follow your true north, you know, but if you don't, you get pulled off course. And I've seen people that wound up, obviously, the people like Jeff Skilling and others that, you know, that, that people said they had true south. But, you know, they're <laughs> trying to impress the whole outside world as the richest guy, the smartest guy. You know, we had this thing about people used to think in the 90s, the smartest person made the best leader. Larry, that's just not true. You saw it in the people who graduated from Georgia Tech. The people yeah. doing the best are not the people that had the top grades. They're the people right. that really understood other people, that really understood, how do we get something done? Thanks for listening to The Million Dollar Mastermind. 
If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.